Hello, Herstorians. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and welcome to the Season 3, Episode 1 premiere of Women of Herstory. <laughs> A podcast dedicated to celebrating women who have made or are making their mark on our society. Today, I have with me your favorite space enthusiast, Rudy Rocket. <laughs> Not to be confused with the coolest character on Rocket Power, Reggie Rocket. Or the coolest character in Marvel Cinematic Universe, Rocket Raccoon. Yes, yeah. I get I get mixed up a lot. Also because of my raccoon exterior. Sure. Yeah. Fair enough. Because uh, I am a talking <laughs> raccoon. Are you ready for season three, Rudy? I've never been more ready for anything in my life. <laughs> except the time I had to go to space. <laughs> We have some amazing things in store for you guys all throughout this year, so make sure you stay up to date on what we're up to by following us on our social medias and visiting our website at ofherstory.com. Share, subscribe, like, retweet, repost, repackage. All of it. Rewind. We are kicking off this season with Charlotte Cushman, America's first true celebrity. My primary source of information for this episode was from the book Lady Romeo by, I'm so sorry, Tana, but I'm going to butcher your last name, and I tried really hard, but it's Tana Wojcik. Yes. Wojcik, I believe. Sorry for the butchering, but I wanted to make sure everybody knows that this information is incredible, and I'm only going into like a third of what happens in this book by Tana. So oh, we got everybody some, go buy it. We got it. some information today. It's amazing. We have a we have a we have a lot to we have a lot of ground to cover. It sounds like, mm-hmm. and as a person who's been in space, I know a thing or two about covering ground. Oh boy. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> Blast off. Charlotte Cushman was born on July 23rd, 1816, in Boston, Massachusetts. The descendant of original organizers of the Mayflower Voyage, her family initially came to America on the ship called the Fortune in 1621. Robert Cushman, being a leader and advocate for emigrations to America, gave the first sermon in America. It's nice of Bob. <laughs> Charlotte was always an adventurous and rambunctious child. Even almost drowning in a harbor after she and her brother were playing a game where they hopped boat to boat trying to get to the other side. That's my favorite game to <laughs> it's play so in good. Queens. <laughs> I love that. Just hopping boats, living my best summer life. Her father, Elkanah, what a name, mm. rose from poverty to be a West Indian merchant. So the family was living rather comfortably until a tragedy fell upon them. He died unexpectedly when Charlotte was just 13 years old. Charlotte had been an especially bright student and had a natural talent for singing, but she ended up leaving school to help support her family at 13. Oh my goodness. Oh. She must, must yeah. have been traumatic too to have to lose oh. a parent just when you're so so, so young, and that's and then like to have to right carry when you're going through puberty too. Like that's gonna oof. John McKay, one of her father's friends, provided Charlotte with extensive musical instruction as he saw great potential in her talents as a performer. Well, that's sweet. Her father introduced her to James G. Mater, and she studied with him for three years. Charlotte made her first appearance in an opera at the Tremont Theater as Countess Almaviva in The Marriage of Figaro. 
and her second as Lucy Bertram in Guy Mannering. Oh, interesting. Yeah. In 1834, legendary vocalist Mary Ann Wood visited Boston with her husband, Joseph. From Boston. (laughs) With her husband, Joseph, for a series of concerts. McKay introduced Charlotte to the couple. It was common during this time for touring productions to hire local performers to fill out various ensemble and even some starring roles. That's really good. Isn't that interesting? I feel like I hope they do that now still. I don't, I mean, think about it. Like touring shows don't really hire local. I mean, I guess if you're doing like a solo concert, maybe people will hire out like, we need a chorus. Yeah. But uh-huh. for yeah. for like full production, They usually have their cast. It's and cast then it's and like, rehearsed. Yeah. And, yeah. They, they don't have to get outside. It's a little different because it used to be everybody had their own costumes. Everybody knew all the same plays. Mm-hmm. It wasn't as much like play production as it is. So it's it's kind of interesting. Okay. Charlotte walked into Mary's dressing room for an audition. Oh, wow. Mary was apparently completely silent throughout Charlotte's audition. And when she finished, Mary went and got her husband. The two had her sing again and then erupted into applause when she finished. It's very much your energy. (laughs) Kick the door and say, what up? I'm going to (laughs) audition. This is your room. Said, ma'am, wait, hold on. Charlotte reported back to her mother that they had said, quote, that such a voice, properly cultivated, would lead me to any height of fortune I coveted. Well, damn. Mm. Charlotte was obviously hired for the gig and performed two concerts with the couple. Mater invited Charlotte to perform in New Orleans in a difficult part that was written for a soprano. If you're unfamiliar with vocal ranges, for females, sopranos have a more comfortable, higher register, with mezzo-soprano right below, then alto and contralto, making up the much lower ranges. I swear, I still forget. I still forget the ranges. And people Mm -hmm. are just, people tell me like, oh, your your voice is like this, or like, you could sing like this. And I'm like, I need to visually see it. I'm such a visual animal. Mm -hmm. God, it's one of the many flaws of being a man. (laughs) I think if you looked at a um, score, like a musical score, and Mm -hmm. you looked at like a staff specifically, I think you'd be able to tell on the... Like the range and stuff. and Yeah. yeah. Like where you would sit just because it literally, as the notes go higher on the staff physically, that obviously means you're going to be singing higher. You can higher. only go so right, high. Right. Yeah. My falsetto is nice, but it's not good. It's not good enough. <laughs> well, listen, Charlotte was a contralto. And this part was written for a soprano. Oh, my goodness. Wait. Um, hold on. So, unsurprisingly... While she was able to give a beautiful handful of performances, her voice failed her after a while. Because even if you are properly trained and well-trained, if you are singing multiple shows a week in a range that isn't good for your voice, you're going to hurt your voice. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. She was ashamed, disheartened, and roasted by the press and all of New Orleans. But she had a contract to fulfill, and that meant she had to continue to humiliate herself on the stage. The manager of a theater in New Orleans approached her and advised her to become an actress. 
1835, she received an urgent letter from James Caldwell, a theater owner, that his wife had died suddenly and he was having trouble finding someone to fill in her role as Lady Macbeth on such short notice. He was obviously mourning the sudden passing of his wife, but he was, I mean, he had a job to do, and he was determined to continue with the benefit as it was for another theater manager by the name of William Burton. So the show must go on, I guess. <laughs> oh, I can't even imagine being like, my wife is dead, but I have to fulfill my obligations. I'm still oh, trying to God. think about how they would have roasted her. Like, what's like, oh, they were what's just like a like, form of like she... roasting back then? Be like, Dame. Oh, no. Dame doesn't sing. No, I don't they're know. not saying Dame yet. It's know. the 1800s. I have no they're idea. Basi- I have no perception of time. Basically, it was like. Nothing worse has graced our stages in New Orleans. She, like, she shouldn't be here. It's bad. It was not pretty. That's why I didn't include those reviews. I just said they roasted her. (laughs) (laughs) Lady Macbeth is one of the most iconic roles in Shakespeare, and Sarah Siddons had made the part famous. I feel like Lady Macbeth is arguably one of the most famous roles in all of theater, in all of performing. You know? I feel very unfamiliar. Really? I, I guess, I guess we, I, I don't know. Yeah. If you've not I, we really did more studied contemporary. Shakespeare, That's yeah. what it is. I like studied yeah. Shakespeare, but I definitely think we like breezed through it every time I was in a theater class. Right. Slash I might've fallen asleep through sure. it. That's fair. I, I, I re- regrettably, <laughs> regrettably. Well, Sarah Siddons, like I said, had made the part famous. She was this really beautiful waif of a woman. She was fragile. Waif. She, a waif. Uh, yeah. I'm loving this vocabulary lesson today. This is great for me. Season three, baby. We back. She was a wave of a woman and was, you know, like I said, fragile. Her presence wasn't, um, it was commanding, but in a different way. So Mm. you, you gravitated toward her when you looked on the stage, but you weren't immediately whoa you know what i does that make sense yes thank you for that charlotte on the other hand was tall she was powerful and she had been described as having a a lantern jaw and that she was a pythoness which (laughs) please put that on my gravestone i was going to say that sounds like you but i don't know about (laughs) what was the lantern jaw lantern jaw no i'm not quite as square jawed as her that's a ridiculous yeah it's kind of rude lantern jaw (laughs) Actors during this time were expected to supply their own costumes. Charlotte quite literally lived paycheck to paycheck and certainly didn't have any type of costume that would be appropriate. Also consider that seasoned performers had been acquiring costume pieces as their careers went on. Right. And Charlotte was still super green on the scene. Damn. So, you know, she you, didn't you have gather, you collect as you go. Yeah. And that's how you end up with a, cost, a wardrobe of costumes. But you can't just come out and, I mean, think about how expensive that would be yeah. to just try to buy out a whole bunch of costumes. Yeah, there was, yeah. So fearing that she would be recast if she let anyone know that she lacked a costume, she kept it a secret throughout rehearsals and waited until opening night to tell the owner her situation. Oh man, I know that. That that, that feels like something (laughs) I would do. He quickly gave her the name and address of another actress, hoping that she would be able to borrow one from her. 
this actress was short and stout to Charlotte's tall and thin. Oh, my God. <laughs> All ended up well, and they were able to tailor a few pieces and create an appropriate costume. <laughs> I mean, they definitely they created a new style of attire. Well, it's so day. funny, because in the book Lady Romeo, um, she goes further into the situation. I'll only tell part of the story, but basically, like, she Charlotte knocks on the door and opens it, and the actress, they just burst out laughing at each other immediately because this man had not even considered that they're not the same size. So he was like, a woman, you could do this. That like. must have been a very good laugh for several several parties that oh, day. I'm sure. That sounds like a, like a, a bunch of hij a hijinks. A bunch of hijinks. New technology at the theater. Gas lights instead of oil lamps. Allowed for the actors to be able to move more freely around the stage because it was fully lit instead of having it be directly in front of the oil lamp. So it used to be that if you were in the ensemble, you were in the dark. It was essentially you were <laughs> on the stage, but you, you, you didn't really matter until you had something to say. And then you would walk to the center and you would do it in the light. But with this Man. new technology gaslighting the whole stage is lit what a time to be alive isn't that crazy oh wow the reviews came in and she was a smash hit quote she was neither stilted nor mock heroine nor monotonous but so fiercely so vividly natural that the spectators were afraid of her as they would have been a pantheress set loose it was impossible new orleans should long retain such a woman Charlotte felt the call of New York City, because if you're getting reviews like that, come on, in the fall of 1836, and she made her way on a boat called the Star, which, of course. You know, it was a line, mm -hmm. the stars for her. As soon as she arrived in Lower Manhattan, Charlotte wrote to two theater owners, Edmund Simpson of the prestigious Park Theater and Thomas Hamlin of the less reputable theater, The Bowery. Someone once said, quote, if one wishes to observe the ultimate product of civilization and has strong nerves and senses not over delicate, he may do well to take a seat in the pit of the Bowery. Oh. The crowd was bombastic, and on the third tier, people were regularly engaging in sexual activities with sex workers. That's interesting. A rowdy crowd, sure, but they were passionate and engaged in Shakespeare. I mean, you know, definitely I'm glad the workers got their work on. Uh, I'm just I'm just like crazy. the third the third <laughs> Well, because really women weren't going to the theater because things like this were happening. So it wasn't a reputable place for women to go. And at the time it was actually a lot of sex workers um were being brought in to be actresses. So that's why for so long in America, actresses have been thought to be less than, to not be intelligent, to not be able, they, you know, it's the idea of dance, monkey, dance, you know, nothing except this craft. Whereas well, that's why that stigma is there. Is you have to be a strong time. person, right. a strong woman in order to like, right. it's the opposite. To be, yeah, but that's not how that's it works absurd. in the patriarchy. Come that's on. That's so silly. 
Charlotte made her debut as Lady Macbeth there at the Bowery Mm -hmm. and was quickly deemed the star of the Bowery. Okay, good. One critic seemed to not understand that talent and physical beauty can be separated, the former not even needing to be mentioned. Oh, must have blown his mind. She has no charms of person. For she was ugly beyond average ugliness. Her homely face could come alive with a light that was transcendently beautiful. Her ungraceful form could quiver with a passion that was electrical. And her wiry voice became tremulously sweet as though intoxicated by love. And the guttural savage with the demonic rage of intense, venomous hatred. So here's the thing. He's like, she's super ugly, but she's really good. And when she um, acts, she's beautiful. It's so freaking weird. You, you did a good impression of a man just there. <laughs> of a man who looks like he has the face of a butt. Yes. I'm sure. That was the plan. Yeah. It worked. <laughs> just as she was getting used to this new sense of somewhat security, on her first night off, she left all her costumes in the dressing room instead of bringing them home with her. Oh, no. The Bowery caught fire that evening and it literally oh, burned down. Oh, my God. Taking everything that was inside with it. And Hamlin canceled all remaining contracts. I was thinking, like, damn, that gaslighting, mm-hmm. that gaslighting around just that that yep. environment, just that's what I know. Math one plus one equals two. Yeah. That the, sucks. The timing could not have possibly been worse, as her mother had just sold their boarding house to come to New York oh and live my with her, God. along with some of her siblings. Oh. Charlotte was just twenty. Charlotte was twenty years old. And was again faced with having to start an entirely new beginning. She'd done uh, it before. She could do it again. Quote, if I had been spared this early trial, I should never have been so earnest and faithful in my art, given my entire self to my work. I'm so sad for her to have to switch gears again. So Seven soon. years before that, her dad died. I know. So it's like you, so many, uh, so many punches I a know. person could take. The family decided to move upstate to Albany. Wow. Her younger brother, Augustus, was her favorite sibling. She referred to him as keener, more artistic, more impulsive, and more full of genius than any of the other children, including herself. Wow. When he was born, she always said, she she always like referred to him as her child because she was a a considerably older. So she, she thought of him as like her child. In Albany, Charlotte performed to all races and creeds to great success. That's a beautiful thing. A running joke being that on any given night, quote, more members of both houses could be found at Charlotte's performances. (laughs) (laughs) So for those of you who don't know, Albany is the capital of... New York. The and, best state. And, of the best state. Uh, yeah, yeah. And um and and so it's just so funny that even, you know, everywhere from lower class all the way through government government officials were like that woman. Wow. wow. I'm glad she was able to land on her feet after mm-hmm. that theatrical fiasco. Exactly. Goodness. With her success, Charlotte was able to send Augustus to this amazing boarding school and even bought him a horse and a little riding jacket. She's a good sister. In April of 1837, Charlotte received a telegram that Augustus was dead. What? How did you lead up like that? (laughs) Damn it. I wanted, I mean, it's not his story, but. I know. Quote, the ground liquefied under me. I felt the waters go over my soul. Even worse was that he had died falling from the horse that she bought him. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. She and her mother packed up their things and went back to Manhattan. They said, oh, okay. Oh, 
Okay. Yeah. So. Horrible. Probably her favorite person in the world is dead now. Yeah. Yep. So what that's. What does she do after? A dad, a sibling, all of her livelihood. <laughs> she, probably, she probably had animosity towards that horse. Mm-hmm. In May 1837, Charlotte said she wanted to, quote, suffer bodily to cure my heart bleed. Oh. And that she did. She signed a contract as a walking lady at the National Theater. What is that, you ask? I have the answer. Just an usher. A walking lady is basically what a swing is today. And if you're unfamiliar with that terminology, that means that on any given night, you might be performing a different part and you get little to no rehearsal for it. So basically you have to learn like five parts and they always have to be fresh. And you could get a call 30 minutes before curtain that says, hey, you're going on as track three tonight. Swings are the most incredibly underpaid underappreciated actors in the whole freaking world. I mean, it must have, it must, it's like daunting to do it now in 2021. Back then? Well, because back then it would be different plays. Right. That makes it even worse. That, that it makes wasn't it even like just one a play. A thousand times yeah. worse. She said, I, yeah, no, I yeah. feel so bad for her. Her first task was in Guy Mannering. In the play, the Gypsy Queen, Meg Merrilies, adopts an orphan boy who is secretly a nobleman's son and raises him as her own. When he becomes a man, his identity is revealed, and bandits kidnap him for ransom, ending with Meg sacrificing herself to save him. Charlotte was cast in the chorus, but secretly studied the role throughout the rehearsal process. She got word that she would be playing the part of Meg when the other actress called in sick, giving her about a day to get it all together. Luckily, though, she's a smart lady and was already like, all right, I have a feeling that at any point I'm going to be asked to do any of these things. So she just learned it. Holy crap. Charlotte had a different approach than most actors at the time and really paid attention to what other characters were saying about her character making notes in her script. She drew wrinkles on her face, parted her hair in the middle, wore a dark torn dress with short sleeves, and carried a staff in her hand. Oh, she went in. She, she, Mm -hmm. full on method. Quote, Charlotte came staggering down that stage with a shriek so wild and piercing, so full of agony, it told the whole story of her love and her revenge. I mean, ooh, that may be emotional because, give like, her an award then. because the parallel to her brother having just freaking died to the part of Meg and just being able to just completely give herself over to this. Ooh. That's exacerbating physically, emotionally, mentally. When Meg and her followers finally broke through and rescued Henry, she collapsed and died at his feet. A total silence fell over the theater as Charlotte's limp body was carried off stage. As much as she had terrified her audience, she now made them weep. Oh, you know, you can Ooh. you can feel the electricity whenever you're in the theater and, a, and you can just hear a pin drop. Oh. Everyone has the exact same thought and like their mouths are slightly ajar. They feel, they're, they're almost tears like looking at pro- each other. Just blinking tears out of their they're eyes. Like, Did that really happen? Oh my God. And it's like, yes. That really happened. Well, yeah, yeah. Walt Whitman said, quote, "Mm -hmm, She seems to identify herself so completely with the character she is playing. 
she loses for the nonce every attribute except those which enter into the making up of what she is to portray. It's a pretty high honor to get from him. Obviously, she was a critical success. I mean, come on. And she signed a three-year walking lady contract with the park for $20 a week and began acting there in the late summer of 1837. I should have looked up what that translates to, but I was gonna say big spender, no and then I was like, no, that that but seems. But it's like the 1800s. I, I wonder what I that's. Twenty dollars that would probably get you a long way, you know. Well, back then, maybe. I mean, it's probably a couple hundred. It's probably three hundred dollars, maybe four. We should have looked at the average I of should. like a woman Sorry, for Drop that time period in terms of the arts, because I think that would have uh, been. Well. It would have been, there would have been no comparison. Maybe we'll do that next episode. I mean, I need to learn that. In February of 1839, the cast list for the park's next production, Charles Dickens' Oliver Twist, was announced. Charlotte was given the part of Nancy, a sex worker. These types of roles were, quote, always given to actresses of little or no position in the company. And Charlotte was rightfully furious. But the theater manager, Stephen Price, hated her. So, quote, I was at the mercy of this man. It was midwinter. My bread had to be earned. I dared not refuse nor even remonstrate, for I knew he wished to provoke me to break my engagement. She got the worst Mm -hmm. cards dealt to her. That's so unfortunate. This type of part put her into the line of fire for moralizing journalists. In a letter to Annie Brewster, she said, quote, what he designed for my mortification should be my triumph. Wow. In order to bring some meat to the bones of the part, Charlotte decided she needed to get some perspective and went to an area called Five Points, America's first slum. This was a neighborhood in lower Manhattan, an inner city slum comprised of new immigrants from Italy, Germany, and Ireland. Women who came without anyone and or had families to support spent their lives as sex workers. Sewage was everywhere and dozens were packed into small rooms. Charlotte empathized with the hard life that the sex workers were living. She watched them carefully and it was not hard to find them. Someone even said, quote, every house was a brothel and every brothel a hell. Holy crap. In five points, Charlotte saw the effects of generational poverty. The lack of work available was particularly hurtful for women and girls. Charlotte traded clothing with a dying sex worker, giving up her simple silk but well-made dress for the woman's rags. This would be Nancy's costume. Most of the audience didn't know how Nancy ended up in the in the show, as the novel was released in serial form, and the final bit had only recently been published in America. Wow. Nancy betrays her lover and helps Oliver be free from captivity and ends up murdered, usually out of the audience's view. Charlotte wanted the audience to see it happen, and the audience went wild, forgetting that she was a sex worker. She completely made them forget Charlotte was able to make Nancy a martyr. To no surprise, Nancy was decidedly the best character and tickets sold out. That man could not have hated her after a while. Unless, you know, he, you know, was up to his manly ways and hated her because she was getting too much attention. When her contract expired, she asked for a raise, was denied, and then she quit. Rightfully so. Because 
Know your worth. I would have stabbed him if I were. I would have been so freaking mad. I just would have killed him in his sleep. That's yeah. ridiculous. I've brought I brought you money. There's a 200% increase in the sales. And, and you have never seen this many people yeah. moved in your seats. I just so love the fact that. Ill will she, for that man and his family. She was Ill-will. able to completely transport them so much that. She's money. They forgot that they hate women and sex workers. Because here's the thing, she had to play to the sex workers who are working she in the made third them tier. And she really brought their like multi-dimensional. But she was also having to play character. to the upper class. Yeah. And luckily she had just been in Albany playing to that kind she of She brought layers it's to crazy. that performance and, and to the character. Oh man. So she quit and she ended up working as a theater manager at the Walnut in Philadelphia. And then British star William McCready got to New York and asked her to act with him. Oh, yes. That man recognized talent. Mm-hmm. She said yes to both, taking the train from Philly to NYC and back frequently. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. That must have been so long. She was still needing to just dive and dedicate into her work so as not to think about what her life has done to her so far. Can't even imagine taking a bus <laughs> back and forth over every other weekend or well, something. Well, what's even more perfect is that Charlotte had actually seen McCready on her very first visit to the theater as a young girl. Wow. Yeah. Dreams. Charlotte expressed to him her goals as a performer, and he told her she would have better luck in London. Yes. He believed that the American audience wouldn't respect her until she succeeded over there, just by basis of how theater had been brought to the oh United my God. States. Yeah. And, and years later, it still holds true. I know. <laughs> Plans were being made to make the move to London when she fell in love with the daughter of American artist Thomas Scully, who painted portraits of the rich and famous. Wow. Charlotte and Rosalie met soon after she had commissioned Thomas to do a portrait for her. Rose wanted to be a painter as well and started working on a portrait of Charlotte. Oh. She spent every week at the Scully household. She was enthralled with not just Rose, but with the large, close-knit family that she just didn't have. Ugh. According to the book Lady Romeo, they regarded Charlotte as Rose's, quote, entertaining, if somewhat eccentric, new friend. She w- she went walking with Rose's oldest sister and mother and came regularly to dine, where she would give command performances of Shakespeare's monologues, sing, and recite poetry. <laughs> this new and fresh love gave Charlotte an extra self-esteem boost, and she decided to try her hand at Hamlet. She debuted the role on May 13th, 1844, a notably masculine performance of which the love scenes were, quote, of so erotic a character that no man would have dared indulge them. Holy crap. (laughs) The performance was ripped up by critics. Just kidding. It was hailed by critics and audiences alike. I was going to say, that sounds like a joke. (laughs) She's been well received even by the... No. Yeah, she's been too well received at this point. A reviewer in the publication called Amusements wrote, quote, Charlotte appreciates the influence of the supernatural upon Hamlet's mind. She does not, therefore, fall into the error of representing him as one who is merely playing a part. She enters into his melancholy. The Mm. success of Hamlet meant she had enough money for London, and she even had Rose's support. 
Charlotte wanted a family and a life with Rose, but had only seen marriages amongst her friends be business decisions and not a love match. Wow. While preparing for the trip, Rose and Charlotte planned to commit to one another via a secret ceremony. And on Friday the 5th, two weeks before her 28th birthday, Charlotte took a cab to Rose's, had a nice dinner with the fam, spent the night, and the two were married the next morning. Aww. Her diary read, quote, slept with Rose. Oh, (laughs) wow. There's... I'm so glad she found that kind of love and connection after such a tumultuous, like, mm-hmm. you know, many years at the beginning of her life. Too too many debts. Mm-hmm. Too many, like, misfortunes in theater. Mm-hmm. Good. I'm glad she's finally getting hers now. Yeah. Off to Old Blighty on board the Garrick to Liverpool on October 26th, 1844. Okay. One of Charlotte's sisters, Mary Eliza, was furious when she found out that she had been saving her money instead of giving the money to the family, and was even more upset when she heard people gossiping about her relationships with women. Charlotte wrote that she had a miserable trip, seeing Rose everywhere she looked, and wondered what she could possibly do without her. Oh. When Charlotte got off the boat, she wasted no time. Hearing that J.M. Maddox of the Princess Theater was looking for actresses, she paid him a visit. He was initially disinterested, so Charlotte, being freaking awesome Charlotte, fake left, turned around, (laughs) and started reciting in the same gusto that she did her Meg Merrillis role, (laughs) saying, quote, I know I have enemies in this country, so help me, I'll defeat them! To which he replied, hello, so help me, she's got the stuff in her. I feel like that's how you've walked into a room (laughs) saying that verbatim, too. (laughs) I'm like, good morning, hello. (laughs) I know I have enemies in this country. (laughs) (laughs) Charlotte wanted to play Romeo. And knew she would absolutely kill it. But first, she reprised her role as Lady Macbeth. Nice. She was deemed the, quote, second Sarah Siddons. And news traveled back to America that she was the bomb.com. Walt Whitman was upset that people didn't see her star power when she was on the front doorstep in America. Quote, Charlotte Cushman is not second Siddons. She is herself. And this is far, far better. Wow, I'm so surprised. The United States doesn't know what it has until (laughs) Until it goes away and then the true value is recognized. Mm -hmm. Wow, good thing times have changed. (laughs) Charlotte hadn't heard from Rose in some time and was beginning to worry when she finally received a letter. Thomas Sully had banned Rose from any further relationship or contact with Charlotte. She had been part of that family, and her own family was giving her grief for pursuing her passions, and Rose didn't seem to have put up a fight. Charlotte wrote to her sister Susan, asking her to come across the pond. She needed a Juliet to her Romeo. Quote, Miss Cushman is the one person we have seen who can handle a sword in stage combat so as not to make the encounter seem ridiculously prearranged and, at the same time, gives the affray the appearance of reality without savageness. Okay, I can imagine, I've taken, like, a few stage combat classes, like, in my time, but I cannot imagine what that looked like back then. 
Because at least you're using, like, I'm sure they had some form of props, but I'm sure sometimes their props were actual swords and not, like... Or, like, (laughs) over-exaggerated and kind of silly a little. That's what, based on what I was finding, a lot of people were saying. It just a lot of times would look like you knew that the hero was going to win. Whereas her performance made it look like she might not. Like, Damn, Romeo orders. might she, not she, win. She, she sold it. Oh, yeah. goodness. Now, you may be thinking, um, sisters being Romeo and Juliet. I, I had that thought, so but I'm sure they're, you're about to go having her sister yeah. as Juliet aided in helping her to avoid the gossip of her relationships with women. According to Lady Romeo, women found her Romeo an ideal lover. Impulsive, sensitive, courageous and cavalier Mm. one anonymous woman said quote charlotte cushman is a very dangerous young man (laughs) and another said quote the character of romeo is one which every man of sentiment takes to himself and estimates according to his own feelings and impulses perhaps a more intellectual and at the same time a more theatrically effective performance has never been witnessed. I would I would definitely bet that she played the ultimate uh, Romeo. Absolutely I the mean, ultimate Romeo. But yeah, theatrically and then also kind of like cavalier. Well, physically also she's a tall she's a tall woman so she already has traditionally what like masculine features and so it just suits her and she wasn't trying to be like a woman being a man she was like i'm a i'm romeo get off me (laughs) wow during one of her performances someone fake sneezed and she stopped the show and said quote some man must put that person out or i shall be obliged to do it myself Oh my god. And then people were, and that was like. I love her. That, I wonder if that was the first time that the fourth wall was broken <laughs> in history. People were like, she's interacting with the audience. What can we call this? In the spring of 1847, Charlotte had hung around enough society people and royalty that she found herself invited to the home of Anastasia and Samuel Lawrence for their weekly Sunday salon. During one of these salons, Charlotte met the man who coined the term feminism, Charles Fourier. He, too, believed that women should be allowed to hold jobs, and they shared a common sentiment that marrying was a primarily a legal agreement. Man. She spoke with Jane Welsh Carlyle, who believed women should be able to own property, journalist and editor Mary Howitt who was writing a paper against capital punishment for women at the time. Wow. Women loved her. She stated, quote, I am my own businessman and was seen as a representative for women's rights. Of course, she loved the attention. That's good, though, that she was um, around these allies. Yeah. You know, because it's just there's so much negativity and, like, ignorant opinions that, mm-hmm. like, those those... It's good that she was able to kind of weed out and find these Absolutely. men who are able to kind of help uplift her. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Also, Allies. I'm so mad at um, Rose's family. Ugh. And also, I mean, I don't know if it's like Rose to a certain extent, but if I were Charlotte, if I had enough money, I'd buy their house. I'd be very vindictive. I'd buy their house, like, make them, like, <laughs> so desperate. Like, I, I would, no, I would be so mad. I would, like... That makes me so upset. It sucks. That makes me so mad. But it's going to get better. And if they bought another house after that, buy it too. (laughs) (laughs) 
Charlotte wrote a letter to Charles Dickens, who, upon receiving it, told his friends, quote, I ought to answer immediately. After four years in London, and now deemed as the first true American celebrity, she contacted Mr. Price, the new manager of the Park Theater in New York City in 1848. She did a bit of name-dropping to prove that she had kept up to date with the New York theater scene, Mm. including the fact that she knew how much Edwin Forrest was making per play, which was $3,000. In the letter, she said the following, quote, Most likely he, referring to Edwin Forrest, will go to the Broadway theater. The park was always too good for him. Quote, You seem to have no stars. Oh. And, quote, America hereafter will be the only ground for the drama. Here it is dying out as fast as it possibly can. She proposed that she would come to America the following August, tour the country, making as much money as she possibly could. She also demanded that she be paid at least what her male co-stars were making. At least. At Man, least. and she, and the, no, if she's fighting for that and saying that those are the starting terms, mm-hmm. like, she knew her worth, uh-huh. she knew what she could get, she knew it was bullshit, obviously. Um, yeah, she's like, who, who else do you have right now? He's leaving because he's not good enough for your theater, and you don't have anybody else to bring people into the seats. I'm offering... To be that person. And that was so unheard of for women, actors, first of all, actors, to do that. And then for it to be this woman, like... Sucks that it's still going on. Oh my god, wild. A new love interest, Matilda Max Hayes, complicated things a bit for Charlotte. And based on her last experience with a long-distance relationship, she was a bit weary of leaving her new partner behind. Max was a writer and an English translator for Amantine Lucille Aurore Dupin, a.k.a. George Sand. George Sand, her affairs were both with women and men, and they were widely publicized, and naturally her translator would be just as progressive. <laughs> like, honestly. Max was tall, slender, and dressed like a man in button-up shirts and bow ties. Their relationship wasn't ever acknowledged by the press, but it wasn't a secret that they were together. They dressed alike. Like, they matched outfits daily. Oh, that's us. Max, initially not not too keen on the trip, ended up agreeing to join Charlotte on her voyage to America. She plotted an 1849 return to America. Turns out America was going through it at the time. There were numerous conflicts in the surrounding decades, from the Mexican-American War ending and the state-sanctioned murder of 4,000 Cherokees by the government um, with the Indian Removal Act of 1830 to enslaved African-Americans fleeing on the Underground Railroad. The, also during this time, there was the Seneca Falls Convention in upstate New York that was championing women's rights. Now, I didn't know this until reading Lady Romeo, but Frederick Douglass gave a speech there that linked women's that. suffrage to universal suffrage for all races. I only knew that because of the morning morsels. At like whenever I do a, a right. one about the Seneca Falls Convention, it's usually that Frederick Douglass was there and like he was one of the like few right. outspoken men who yeah. like who was like we can was, draw easy who, lines he was a black to your right male who was like women need you know yeah. like you know yeah he absolutely. Was, 
Yeah. I guess maybe you had told me that, but it maybe never like fully stayed in my brain. I never really think about it as much because I'm usually focused on like the women the aspect women of aspect, it to right. be like. But that's so awesome. Look at a man like, doing something. Like no, I don't that's need to not hear something that right like now. I know. I wrote a paper on Frederick Douglass, and that was not information that was really included in the things that I'd read. I mean, at least I guess not that I remember. So, he was so prevalent in every other sort of. He was so prevalent in um, fighting for, uh, you know, the civil rights for uh, black people that right. it was just like, you know, that was just something that I guess our history teachers never... Right, kind of... they never... Well, that's also, you know, as soon as you combine... As soon as you let people who are in positions of less power know that if they band together, they can change the whole system, that's when the information is... Um, I would have too powerful, loved... so I imagine that's why it's not really in 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 books. I would like have that. loved to have you did like a very abridged version of like, f- you know, just like fifty like fifty <laughs> or something. You know, yeah. I would have loved. I, I I know all these things happen just from all the research that we end up doing, uh, and you know what I end up typing up. Mm-hmm. But it, it's it's so important, and I think people really need to recognize how much of a tumultuous state. <laughs> the United States oh was God. in, and we weren't even 50 states yet. The New York theater scene wasn't immune to violence, which I know is a weird thing to say, but... Mm. <laughs> a particularly bloody and strange happening called the Astor Place Riots dampened the scene, but it wasn't entirely uncharacteristic. What, what, can you start that sentence off again? That I really like that for the name of, of like a play. A particularly bloody and strange happening. <laughs> that sounds like a That's play good. about Grand Central <laughs> or Penn Station. <laughs> That's good. There was a major feud between competing performances of Macbeth. British heavyweight William McCready and American actor Edwin Forrest had devoted fans. McCready didn't care for Forrest, thinking he was a brute, and insulted him in a newspaper. The Bowery Boys, Forrest's supporters, plotted to disrupt one of McCready's performances. Oh, great. The action was met by the National Freakin' Guard, who, of course, made things worse and escalated the issue, turning it into a riot. The guardsmen opened fire and killed 30 people who were throwing stones. Not even... So, yeah. According to Lady Romeo, this defined the struggle to decide if the rich or poor got to define American culture. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Charlotte's first stop in the States was in Boston. Here, she met the New York Times' first female reporter, whom was admired by Nathaniel Hawthorne, wow. Sarah Jane Clark, a.k.a. Grace Greenwood. That was her pen name. Grace Greenwood? Mm-hmm. That sounds like a fun little it's... Hogwarts name. <laughs> Moon she, Lovegood. She also met Harriet Hosmer. Max, Charlotte, Grace, and Harriet formed a tight friendship, calling themselves the Jolly Bachelors. Oh. The group decided to make a home for themselves in Rome. Charlotte was 33. In Rome, wow. I know. Charlotte was 33, wealthy. Living her best life. And felt like she was in a place to be done with acting after her tour in America. Mm -hmm. In 1852, the group moved to Rome. Nathaniel Hawthorne expressed to Greenwood that 
he loved her sad but beautiful novels, but that he hoped living abroad would help her to write something, quote, with more sunbeams. No. (laughs) He was suffering from writer's block at the time, and Grace sent him a letter expressing her belief that he might find inspiration in Rome just like she had. He and his wife went to Rome in 1858, and the trip resulted in his novel, The Marable Fawn. It was about a group of female artists living together in Rome. Well. I know. Hawthorne said that he was affected by Charlotte, and even though years prior he had decided he would never again sit for a portrait, he said, quote, After the impression of her own face, which Miss Cushman has indelibly stamped on my remembrance, she has a right to do just what she pleases with mine. Oh. (laughs) That's that's so, like, um, that's amazing for him to say that. I had to include all of these little nuggets of, like, oh, my God, all these people existing at the same freaking time and interacting with each other. Like, in in the history... In the history books and, like, at that time, people were probably, like, the history books of, of, sure. of yore. Sure. Um, you know, they were probably, like, oh, bunch of women getting together, lesbians, <laughs> like, terrible, heathens, Jezebels. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and, and Nathaniel's, like, no, I'm going to write a story like, about no, them. I love them. <laughs> and this is going to do very well. My career will skyrocket because of course who wouldn't want to read something like that that's just really interesting the perspective of of women that we don't always get to see because they're skewered for whatever offensive stupid reason like that's because that archetype isn't allowed is is what it nathaniel's like y'all bugging i'm about to about to (laughs) i'm about to get the bag yes man (laughs) yes tell their stories Harriet's father came to visit, and the group loved him so much that they brought him into their group and started calling him Elizabeth, which he was delighted by. That's, <laughs> so, yeah, hilarious. That's, that's so that's so nice. I know. That's so nice that they called him. I Well, I also like the idea they that brought he, him in, but I also and he like loved it, it too. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what's important is that it's not just like some he's part of it. Like, there's no way he didn't go and not know what was happening here. Like, you know, they kids, all fell in and out of love with each other. It's a whole thing. You know, like, that's just, it is what it is. Kids at one point used to call me uh, Josefina, Josefina. <laughs> and I would I wasn't in on that joke. Oh. So that, that bothered me a little mm-hmm. bit because that's... Right. I, You're not in on it. I could have I could have picked a name different. for myself. Yeah. Another name. <laughs> Josefina. Not everyone liked the Jolly Bachelors... Deeply sexist sculptor and poet, William Wetmore Story, what? Yeah, said the following about Harriet. Quote, she takes a high hand here in Rome and would have the Romans know a Yankee girl can do anything she pleases. Walk alone, ride her horse alone, and laugh at their rules. Like, yeah, I am gonna... What was his name? William Wethorse Story? Wetmore Story. <laughs> Wet. Wait, that man's trying to tell her what to do like that? Get out of here. He said that she was a good copier, quote, but if she has inventive powers and as an artist, will not she be the first woman? I'll kill him. I'll kill him. You don't know who whispered that. (laughs) The Jolly Bachelors had a weekly Wednesday night dinner full of art, music, laughter, and incredible conversation. 
They believed in equal opportunities for all women and befriended various women's rights activists like Jane Carlyle and Lucretia Mott. After a few years, in the winter of 1854, Charlotte decided it was time for her to make a comeback to the stage. Max and Charlotte decided to go to London. Fun. Max and Charlotte decided to go to London. Unfortunately, Max quickly returned to Rome, and Charlotte said, quote, I can never suffer so much again. Mm. True to how Charlotte performs, she threw herself completely into the role of Queen Catherine and Henry VIII, receiving some of the best reviews she's ever gotten, and that's considering all the reviews she's already gotten. So that's kind of wild. Wow, good for her, though. (laughs) When she returned to Rome, she and Max made up and restarted their relationship. Yay. Within just a few years, though, the relationship would implode in a very public fashion. Oh, no. In 1857, Charlotte was writing a letter and wouldn't tell Max who it was to. Uh, Max tried to snatch it away, and Charlotte literally shoved it into her own mouth (laughs) to keep the recipient's name from her. Max packed up and left two days later and sued Charlotte for $2,000, of which Charlotte paid him full. She said, whatever. You could have just asked me for $2,000. I I would have given it to you. I know you need money. Yeah. I know you're struggling out here, little boy. (laughs) Soon after, Charlotte met Emma Stebbins, a calm, happy, and stable woman. They spent an incredible summer together, and everyone saw a shift in Charlotte. Oh. In the fall of 1857, Charlotte... Emma and Sally, Charlotte's chambermaid, who has been along for the journey this whole time, um, they all returned to America. During this time, more women were in the seats at the theater, and the female critics loved Charlotte. Oh, she must have been happy to go back to seeing that. Mm-hmm. Louisa May Alcott oh, nice. wrote in her diary, saw Charlotte Cushman and had a stage-struck fit. Oh, fangirling. I know. Excellent. I love that. I love to hear that from back then because we don't know what it sounds no, like but for it's women to be, the same. you know, hyped up by other women at that time. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. we just haven't heard, heard it as much. Upon the return to America, Charlotte set out on a tour while Stebbins stayed out east with her friends and family. While on tour, Charlotte met Emma Crow and the two spent all of their time together. When Charlotte returned to Rome in the winter, they continued to write one another. The Jolly Bachelors looked horrible. Harriet was staying out all night, and their friend Elizabeth Barrett Browning was worried that she might be on drugs. Elizabeth herself was addicted to opium. She was afraid someone else was on drugs. Because she was (laughs) on drugs. (laughs) Emma Stebbins knew about Emma Crow. She said, we need to get it together. She said, ma'am. You're high right now. I said, yeah. But. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot. Wait, what did I get? When did I smoke? <laughs> Emma Stebbins knew about Emma Crow and figured it was just a passing phase, though she caught her writing to Crow. Mm. Charlotte declared that she hadn't done anything wrong and invited Crow to Rome to stay with them. She must have been high, too. <laughs> Honestly. Damn. To make it less weird, Opium lols, <laughs> she invited her nephew, Ted. And by Ted, I mean Ned. <laughs> I don't know why I said Ted. I, I mean, it was Ted so Lasso. weird. It could have been <laughs> Led. Yeah. <laughs> Charlotte avoided Crow when she got there. And after she spent some time with Ned, she ended up marrying him. Wait. Now she's Emma Cushman. And the two moved back to America and had a child, of which Charlotte 
rush quickly to be there for. So it's just messy. It's just so messy. Brought her nephew God. out. Nephew gets married. Married to her lover. Former lover. Who, something. It's a lot. Man. Yeah. It's like a mm. weird dance. Super messy. Okay. Realizing the turmoil that she had put Stebbins through, Charlotte dedicated the rest of her life to Stebbins' career. Stebbins was competing for a commission to make uh, to make a statue of Horace Mann for the Massachusetts State House. Charlotte sent free theater tickets to he and his wife, the former Mary Peabody, and Emma got the commission. Hmm. In 1862, Emma received the commission for the Bethesda Fountain in Central Park. Wow. The fountain commemorated the opening of the Croton Aqueduct bringing clean water to New York City and to be poised at the end of the Poet's Walk. The subsequent Angel of the Waters is a secret tribute to Charlotte. That's a, that's a beautiful that's a beautiful tribute that she was able to get in mm-hmm. a city that once did not Ugh. like her as much. Um, had a bunch of um, douchebags well, running around. That was one of the very first public art commissions that went to a woman. It's the only one in Central Park of those statues that went to a woman. Um, yeah, it's kind of crazy. So let's rewind just a little oh, no. to March of 1861 when Lincoln assumed the presidency and then the war began in April. Oh, Abe. Yeah, Charlotte was still sitting in Rome but got letters about the major events. The Secretary of State, William Seward, was a good friend of hers, and he believed that the war was just going to be short-lived. It's all good, honey. It's a few months. <laughs> It'll you know, be fine. Maybe year tops. In July of 1861, Charlotte stayed with Seward and his family. He took her to the White House and introduced her to Lincoln. Hey. Quote, standing beside the flag in front of his marble fireplace, tilting back in his black leather chair, Lincoln drawled his eager references to the theater, especially Shakespeare to plays he had seen recently when he had slipped unannounced into a box. He said, my favorite theater is the Four Theater. And she said, yeah, Yeah. tell me more. (laughs) Lincoln made her promise not to retire before he was able to see her in his favorite play, Macbeth. Oh, wow. In 1863, Charlotte read just how bad the war was really getting, and she said she was, quote, or so heartsick that I hardly know how to talk or write about it. She returned to America to raise money for the Union Army's Sanitation Commission. They provided medical equipment and support to doctors and nurses on the front lines. That's excellent. I know. I'm glad she, like, you know, she has all these things going on in her life, and she was still trying to give her efforts... To a country she's not even living in who didn't even want her there. Who didn't even like her very much. That is like, that speaks so much more about her character and also very shameful of the country. Absolutely. That's the only shameful thing I think we have to be ashamed of, pretty sure, (laughs) in this whole country. She wrote to her friend Edwin Booth and asked him to be her co-star in Macbeth. He tried to discourage her from performing that particular show as it was especially dark. He said, Charlotte, Girl, you're crazy. And she said, yeah. Charlotte <laughs> expressed that she had a promise to keep and that she wouldn't budge on the choice of the play. She set sail in June of 1863 and arrived in Washington on October 9th. 
1863. Okay, now you know how I don't like long trips, oh uh, extended <laughs> periods of time. Uh, Consider yourself lucky. I uh, Hashtag blessed. Months, months, months. months. Uh, I would have lost my mind probably the third or fourth day. <laughs> Once again, she stayed with the Sewards. He and his wife, Frances, were fervent abolitionists, and their daughter Fanny saw Charlotte as proof positive that an unmarried woman can be happy and successful. She wrote in her diary that Charlotte could join the men in conversation about political and current events, quote, with ease and air of habit, which is usually confined to men. Her views comprehensive, clear, Farsighted. It's great that she was able to see. She just sat and you watched that. She was like, in order mm-hmm. to believe it, you know, to, to know that you can do it. And I'm glad she was able to have someone like mm-hmm. Charlotte to look up to. Mm-hmm. Charlotte knew everyone and was a facilitator of connections. I mean, she knows the president, and the president is a fan of hers. Like, come Secretary on. Secretary of State. Yeah, it's that's, freaking that's impressive. Crazy. Yeah. Walt Ed- Whitman, like Ed- Edwin, oh my God. Edwin Booth. <laughs> like, Lincoln had dinner with her almost every night that she was there. She recalled that his humor made her laugh so hard that she forgot what she wanted to say. He I can't lit- imagine Lincoln being a funny guy between, I, I don't know. That's so interesting. He lit up when he talked about his favorite plays and thoroughly enjoyed her performance in Macbeth. Charlotte returned to Rome when the engagement was finished. In 1864, Edwin, Junius Jr., and John Wilkes Booth performed in a benefit production of Julius Caesar at the Winter Garden Theater. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder who I wonder who John Wilkes Booth played. Probably Brutus. The, the production, well, you'll hear in <laughs> the production raised more than $5,000 for William Shakespeare's statue that would be erected in Central Park. John thought he saw a message in the play. Even though he played Mark Antony, his stupid little self-important brain thought he was Brutus. <laughs> On April 14th, 1865, he assassinated Lincoln. You can't Lincoln. make that up. What you a really, stupid, you really can't stupid, make that up. He said, I really aligned myself with Brutus. And at some point, someone should have been like, we need to watch John from now on. When Charlotte found out in Rome, she expressed her disbelief and disgust. She had known and worked with him and already hated him. She she thought he was horrible. He was a brute. He was gross. He was self-important. She wrote an open letter and presented it at a memorial to Lincoln at the American Legion in Rome. Quote, We have heard with mingled emotions of horror and regret too deep for utterance the appalling intelligence of the cruel and cowardly attack. In common with every true-hearted American at home and abroad, we regard the loss of Abraham Lincoln as a national bereavement of unsurpassed magnitude. I feel like death follows her. That's so sad. Yeah. Cancer sucks, and in 1869, our Charlotte Cushman was diagnosed with breast cancer. Charlotte immediately decided she was up for all kinds of radical surgeries to try and rid her body of the cancerous cells. Sir James Simpson regularly used chloroform for Hmm. anesthesia, Mm -hmm. and during her lumpectomy, Charlotte refused anesthetic. Not to prove she was tough as nails, but because she had done her own research of chloroform, and found that it could really, really, really easily lead to death. Yeah. The lumpectomy was successful at first, but those horrible lumps came back. Mm. 
Emma Stebbins continued her work on the Angel of the Waters, though she scaled back in her work. The Jolly Bachelors were no more, and Charlotte and Stebbins decided to move to Newport. I'm obsessed with the fact that she loved to name everywhere she lives, <laughs> and they settled on the Villa Cushman for this new home. That's <laughs> apropos. It was she, Emma Stebbins, and her sister, Ned, Emma Cushman, and their children, as well as their friends who would just come in and out. <laughs> One of those friends, Helen Hunt was an activist who dedicated her life to speaking out about the mistreatment of Native Americans in the United States. Wow, Helen Hunt. Isn't that crazy? Charlotte felt like she was wasting away and wanted to stay as active as she possibly could. Quote, I won't give up reading, ever, while life lasts. She gave commanding, seated performances and readings, usually with a doctor waiting in the wings just in case. Mm. Charlotte reminded people of the before times. Society was now defined by pre- and post-war. In Lady Romeo, Tana writes, quote, Seeing Charlotte perform was like being dipped in consciousness. It was a rite of passage. She sounds like a living A24 film. God, seriously. Also, we were just talking about the ideology of, like, people who, like... The before times and the after. Pre Mm -hmm. and post. And uh, it has to do with the, like... Issues. Yeah, yeah. Henry James saw her read Henry VIII as Queen Catherine and said it was, quote, one of the most ineffaceable in my tolerably rich experience of theater a vivid vigil in which the poor, lonely lamplight became that of the glittering stage. Oh, he is a way In which words. I saw wondrous figures and listened to thrilling tones. Wow. In which I knew Shakespeare acted as I was never to know him again. That's moving. Oof. That speaks mountains. I keep mountains. getting so emotional. <laughs> that speaks far and wide about that her That just tells talent. me, like... The emotion she was able oh. to invoke... As a result of her performance is nothing short of stellar, it sounds mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. George T. Ferris said, quote, She has but to wave her want to unlock the prison house of Shakespeare's pages, all the immortal phantoms that brood within them. It is for her alone to invest them with a splendid and subtle life. God. In 18... How is she... How... how you, you went to theater school. You you were a theater major. You have a degree in acting. Have you ever heard of this woman? No. What the hell? Then the the curriculum, I guess, was different up here. Nowhere, nobody knows, and she is the basis of American theater. She is the base, but it's because it's a boys' club and can't be because of a woman. Anywho, in eighteen seventy six, Charlotte went to Boston for medical treatment, and on a long walk, she caught a cold. Cold quickly turned into pneumonia, and she passed away on February 18th, 1876. Rather abrupt. Thousands came to Boston for the funeral and waited online for hours to see her body. 10,000 held a candlelight vigil in New York. That's so sad and very, so moving and sad Mm -hmm. um, that these people turned out 
at the end yeah. of her life and not when she was, like, really as Except active. Except Walt, Walt Whitman was, like, there from the start. He was like, you're all idiots. You're all idiots. She's amazing. And Nathaniel and Hawthorne. Yeah. And obviously really all, a, a lot but, of other yeah. people. We just mentioned two males. Right, but right, there right. were way more people who were... <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. Showing out for her. In 1907, the Charlotte Cushman Club was founded, and in the year 2000, it was renamed the Charlotte Cushman Foundation. A one-woman play, The Last Reading of Charlotte Cushman, was written by Carolyn Gage, whom I'm excited to share with you all will be one of our upcoming guests this season. We have an amazing chat about lesbian representation in theater, so... Be on the lookout for That's that That's an important one. conversation. I wish that was had back then so that more women could have felt mm-hmm. more comfortable in the arts mm-hmm. um, and not have to feel like they have to, you know, mm-hmm. lie, I mean, or just, you know, right. maneuver in ways that they didn't feel as comfortable mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. Charlotte's Charleston home is a site on the Boston Women's Heritage Trail. Boston Women's Heritage Trail? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So we we're taking go. a trip yeah, to Boston. Yeah, that sounds cool. <laughs> That's really close. That's the only reason to go to Boston. <laughs> hate the Red Sox. I'm going to leave you guys with this quote. Harper's Bazaar wrote in a spread about her on March 18, 1876. Thus we see that Charlotte Cushman did something more than walk upon the stage with a fine talent and turn the world upside down at once. She did, indeed, what Napoleon did on another scale. She conquered circumstances, and she did it with laborious effort and indomitable will. Titanic beings, capable of listing the drama to the place it held when the old Greek amphitheaters beside the sea, no roof intervened between the players and the sky above. Into the face that every man called ugly, she gathered a divine sweetness and strength that every woman called beauty." Success snatched from the fate that has brought women so little, something silencing to the vast defamatory tongue that declared women of so small purpose. You know, I was going to I was going to just mention one little thing from the beginning of that quote, but there were just so many great um like descriptions and adjectives <gasps> for her that I'm just completely Titanic enthralled. Being. That's the one. That's the one. Titanic wow. being is on such a like large scale and it really goes to show how much of an impact she made whether it was you know um kind of influencing those who might not have had such a voice uh to kind of feel empowered like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to feel empowered and at the same time showing that you know outright women could do easily anything a man could do i just yeah still kind of get the same and still kind of get like a like a, a weird hatred and well and i love what they said about it. the whole thing where it's like she didn't walk on the stage with this incredible talent and turn the world upside down because they wouldn't let her do that yeah they had decided she was not capable of that even though she proved herself over and over and over again and so she was i like the indomitable will like laborious effort indomitable will like it was never easy she for didn't this woman. Just gender bent the role of Romeo. She like made Romeo a whole new character. It she sounds was like Romeo, by giving him more dimension. Real. Yeah, he wasn't because Romeo's such a snot nosed little piece of work, yeah. and like she made she like almost humanized him, where it was like, you know, 
um, because you almost it, it sounds feel... like because I feel like so many times the approach is to be charming Romeo, whereas with her she sounds like she was able to sit in it and be like, if I'm if Romeo in the way he's written is trying so hard to be this guy, right? He's a teenager, so if he's trying so hard, think about what the insecurities lie within somebody who's trying that hard. And I think it sounds like she was able to, to bring that, it. to yeah. be like, I am a teenage boy with crazy hormones. Instead of just being a male and going out there and, and performing Romeo. And like, anyone could do exactly. anyone could do that, but to really flesh out that sort of mm. character that William Shakespeare decided on, um, is it speaks to her ability as a performer, mm -hmm. her um, aptitude as an individual, mm -hmm. you know? Like, gender aside, she was a very profound uh, performer mm -hmm. in the arts and also just like a humanitarian to oh be able to you know keep in contact with people like the secretary of state the president of the united states you don't states. make those connections as a woman in that time if you're not and to be able to talk so freely about politics and honestly and, and, and i think and i think events. she had just decided she is she had been dealt so many hand like bad hands that she was like i'm i don't even care anymore and i'm not gonna dull my own starlight to make you comfortable. I'm going to continue doing what I think is best, what I know I'm capable of, and just what a crazy life. What an incredible career. What a an impactful titanic being. <laughs> she was dealt 52 cards, and every time she kept playing the cards, it sounded like they kept changing the game, being oh, yeah. like, now it's 21. Now it's goldfish. Now, we're now it's gin rummy. <laughs> now it's war. <laughs> now like, uh, come on, like, yeah. chill. Like, yeah. she's trying to, like, do the best she can mm -hmm. in the game she's playing, and then they always kept changing it in front of her, or, like, telling her, oh, you're not playing the game well. You didn't put the card down well enough. And it's like, M are you kidding me? It's like, like, I thought I had a straight flush. They're like, well, we're playing four of a kind now, so. You would think we were, like, playing cards with all these references, but really the <laughs> analogy just makes it work so well that, like, you know, she could put a card down and then, you know, there'd be, like, a man being like, well, hmm. yeah, she had played it like this. I mean, this. just the yeah. very fact that, I mean, going back to earlier in the in the episode when she was given the part of Nancy and Oliver Twist, he did that on purpose. He didn't like her. And he said, I'm going to make you look bad. I'm going to give you the role of this sex worker so that you are a demon in this. Little did he know <laughs> that she... Was like, all right, you're going to give me that. I'm going to make it the worst decision you've made because I'm going to be a star from this. And she was. And then he didn't give her a raise. You know, that's like she he changed the game. She still won that game. And he got mad. And then he got ended mad. the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? Took his ball and went it's home. It's crazy. Yeah. Wow. Little so, man. Little man. Little boy mentality. That is episode one. Season three. <laughs> She's a long one. But she's a good one. Actually, every episode after this is just more Charlotte Cushman. <laughs> we just I mean, really, retell we just like different going. parts of her I'll life. I'll have a different take every time too. We'd, oh, we'd have different opinions, and they'd probably <laughs> last us, you know, an hour and twenty minutes. And thank you, historians, for coming back for season three. You guys, subscribe, follow, share with all your friends please. and frenemies. Um, <laughs> please, 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 please. 
Come back this Friday for an interview with bilingual TV host and travel journalist Jeanette Seha. In this interview, she talks about what diversity travel means and why it's important, how she's always felt like a global citizen, and why she loves to bridge the gap between the audience and the world. Yeah, she's really cool. She oh. travels to all these places that she I'm, was just in Turkey. I think she's in, she's Alaska, in Alaska right now. now. Like, yeah, man, I'm crazy. I'm, uh, She's so cool. Tra traveling scares me <laughs> a little bit, so I live vicariously through a lot of her pictures. Nah, nah, you'll She's travel. like, I'm on an, air I'm on, a, I'm in a hot air balloon. I'm like, I took a bus four hours, <laughs> hardly. Follow us on the social media on Instagram at Women of Her Story dot, uh, no, Women of Her Story Podcast. Twitter, The Her Story Pod. TikTok, Women of Her Story. Facebook. Women of Her Story. <laughs> and visit our website at ofherstory.com backslash Domino's Pizza. <laughs> That's the one. That's the whole thing, because <laughs> we also do We do delivery now. Until Friday, be safe, stay healthy, and show the world what you're made of. Wear a mask and go get that vax, y'all. Get that vax. Deuces. Bye, also. <laughs>